Hey everybody, it's Greg. Episodes of the QNT podcast were recorded between June and September 2022. All mentions of the Patreon are now obsolete as that channel no longer exists. The information, however, is still relevant and hopefully you find some value in it. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? This is Greg Lunt, and welcome to episode 8 of the Quant Podcast here on Patreon. This recording is taking place on September 10th, 2022, and our guest today is someone who started his rise in the Quant community through his Instagram channel, at Quant.Updates, single-handedly spreading the word about Quant on the most popular platform in the world. Months later, he went on to co-found The Quamfy Show with fellow Dutchman Yarno, which now has over 17,000 followers across YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Please welcome one of the sexiest voices in crypto, (laughs) Tim, to the podcast. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I didn't really know that this podcast existed. I mean, until uh, Jarno said that he was on the show a couple of months back, and I'm pretty honored to be here. So uh, really looking forward to uh, what we're going to do tonight. Yeah, man. We keep it a little bit under the radar just because it is it is behind a paywall, I suppose. So not a lot of people know about it. I think at some point I'm going to release all the episodes and I just want to figure out the right way to do that. Maybe do a kind of like a Netflix style where I drop like a whole batch of them at once and let people just dive in because there's some pretty good interviews. It's got you and Yarno and Hungarian and Ghost and Tokenizer and a couple of other ones. So people have been very kind with their time. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of dive in. Normally what I do to start off the show, instead of going right into quant and into crypto, just ask you a few questions that are a little more lighthearted and about you and uh, just get like your take on a few things to let people get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool? Yeah, that's cool. Of course. Otherwise I would have said no, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm the, actually out. I'm out. I'll, I will leave the meeting though if you start asking for my uh, bank account details. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, hold on, let me just let me just delete that really quick. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, so what's the last album you listened to or concert that you went to? Oh, um, I'll answer the last concert. That was actually the Red Hot Chili Peppers in uh, Nijmegen, like uh, a Dutch town here. They were doing their European tour. So that was my last concert. And last album, let me check my Spotify. It's not necessarily that, that I listen to certain albums from, from artists. It's more like these mixes on Spotify, if you know what I mean. So I just put on like a mix and it kind of uh, puts everything together. I think, I think the last mix I listened to or album was like with Drake, J. Cole, uh, Mac Miller. But there's also this house mix with the Swedish House Mafia, Dimitri Fekos, like Mike. And there's some Dutch music you would rather not know about. <laughs> well, it sounds like we actually overlap quite a bit. I, I'm surprised the Red Hot Chili Peppers are still going. Yeah, they are. Is cereal a kind of soup? In a way, it is, right? I, I would say so, yeah. But that would be like a milkish soup. I never realized. Well, what do you think? Is this soup or not? Like, I don't know. I you think you could say soup has to be hot. I don't know. Is there cold soup? There, there is cold. If this Spanish soup, it's like, Called gazpacho, I think. Oh, true, like true. Called uh, tomato soup. Does soup have to have a broth of some kind, or like, can it be milk? I don't know. I mean, you could put like cream in soup, so I would mm. say that like some kind of milky substance. I guess it is kind of a soup then. Yeah, I think it is. What is one professional skill that you're currently working on building? 
branding is is something that I'm currently working on. So we are building obviously the Pompey Show and having all the the same brands on certain platforms. I think that that is what I would say, like branding, how to brand yourself, how to position yourself among all these other people doing the same stuff. Yeah, branding. Name something on your bucket list. Good question. Once again, there's so much. I think going for a bungee jump, something like that, something thrilling or no, not really a bungee jump. I think like jumping out of an airplane. Yeah, that would be definitely skydive. Yeah. If you could trade lives with anybody in the world, who would it be with? I think it would be Vladimir Putin and just stop his insane war. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a very interesting answer. Very selfless answer. Yeah. I I would stop his war. Would you rather know all of the world's secrets or live in ignorance forever? I would rather know all of the world's secrets. I'm a curious person and I just want to know what's hiding there, you know? I don't like living in ignorance. I mean, living in ignorance must be really relaxing, I think. But it's just not the type of person that I am. I always want to know more. And finally, if you could go back in time 10 years and tell yourself something, what would you say? Just do it. Just go for it. I think if I go back in time now, I would be a 15-year-old me. So you go back to 2012. Take that part-time job. Go out somewhere. Just ask people if you can join them. Look at investing. You know, just do it. Just don't don't think of all the things that can go wrong, but just do it. You're young. And you have plenty of time to uh, make up for your uh, mistakes or bad decisions. That's really good advice. And I think it's something that we can still all take today and realize how young we are. Like I know you're in your 20s. I'm in my 30s. We're still pretty young. Great advice. And just kind of, you know, piggybacking off of that, the lightning round is over, but I would like to ask you a little bit about yourself more generally. So maybe you want to take us back to that 15-year-old you. Tell us a little bit about like kind of your life coming up, uh, where you come from, what you're interested in, what you do for a living, anything that you want to share about kind of yourself and your story. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, if you go bangers back in time, it would be a 15-year-old me, still in high school. So when I was 18, I went studying at university, studied human geography, not like the physical side of geography with mountains and, and forests and stuff, but like the part that focuses on cities and how people plan space, well, what they do and where they do it. After that, did a master's in urban studies. I was always kind of thinking, okay, I know that I will start working in a couple of years and then earning your first salaries, you're not going to get rich. You need to do something extra. I was always thinking of how can I do that? Investing was always the obvious answer. So I started doing that around 2019 when I had my first jobs and uh, just playing around with these online brokers, invested a little bit. And that's when I kind of jumped on crypto because I always knew that people were really interested in crypto in like 2018, 2017 during that bull run. And then suddenly after a year or something, 2019, you didn't hear anyone about it anymore. I was like, that can't be right. And I was always kind of interested in, in, in Bitcoin. And 2019, I did my first research into it and started putting little amounts of money into it. In 2020, the lockdowns forced me to sit behind my desk. My income was still flowing in, so I still had money, but I couldn't spend it anymore. And that was the point where I was like, okay, so I have money to invest. And while all stocks are down tremendously, crypto is down tremendously, this might be a very good time to enter. And that's kind of in 2020 where I started just buying chunks of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and mostly XRP. I remember summer 2020, I put lots of money every week into XRP. And I will never forget, like... From October 2020 until November, like XRP started on this run, just as Bitcoin did and Ethereum and everything went up. And I suddenly realized how much potential it has because while my money was suddenly doubling and tripling, it was amazing. 
And at that point, I started thinking, okay, so I'm still in my studies, but I can make significant amounts of money with this. I need to put more dedication and effort into it. And then suddenly it bumped back down. And that was the first time I actually experienced a moment where your, your money suddenly evaporates back to a certain level. And that was the point where I realized, okay, probably I shouldn't be like all in on one crypto. That might be a stupid idea. And that's the point where once first hit my observations and I was like, okay, so we have this token and, and, and people are really bullish on it, but nobody of these big influencers is, is talking about it. That, that was really interesting. And that's kind of where I started entering the quant rabbit hole. Yeah, well, that leads kind of like right into my next question, which was around the quant updates Instagram and kind of tell me a little bit more, just back up kind of into you finding quant. Like what was that exact story? Where did you find it? Who introduced you to it? What appealed to you about it? And then how did that roll into the content creation? What was that gap that you saw and why did you think that was so important? Yeah. So as I told you, since 2019, I was in this broker, this popular app we have here in the Netherlands, like the Dutch Robin Hood, you, you could say. And it was a social trading platform. So you had these forums in the app where you could talk with other people about certain subjects. I think it was an XRP-based chat. And there was one guy there who said, well, take a look at quants. And I think it was around December 2020, early January 2021. Like, okay, this guy is talking constantly about him. Why not send him a message? I did. And he uh, kind of informed me about what he saw. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I need to do some more research. And then I remembered something else. There is a YouTuber, he's called Sheldon Athens, and he is making amazing content on, on crypto, I think. And one of the tips he gave was like, go on Telegram and talk to the people in the project, talk to the developers, and don't be, don't hesitate to just ask questions because people are usually willing to talk to you and help you out. And I was immediately welcomed by the admins. Then I discovered that there is not only an official channel of one, there is actually a Comfy Lounge. And then I discovered that there was an entire Dutch community in existence. There was so much going on on Telegram. And as a Dutchie, I was kind of blessed because all the big names were in there. I think Eye of Cyber, who is in there, Sun, Sun and L, is in there. Yarno, obviously, with his ever-present optimism. And I could just talk to them in my own language. And especially this Belgian girl. I know, well, she is a graphic designer. And we chatted for some time. And I was like, why is it that there is no quants activity on Instagram? We were like, this could be a very good opportunity for us to, to actually go there. Because she is a graphic designer. So she could make all those great designs. And I could, on the other hand, feed people with the amounts of information I gathered for like the six months we were talking about it and I said, hey, why aren't we going on Instagram? We should just do it. And at that point, we became quantum dates together. I remember being the first follower of my own page. I shared that on Telegram. And within the first 24 hours, we were already on two, 200 followers or something. And the week after that, we, we almost went to 1,000 followers. It went really quick. People were really supportive. Actually, one of the main people who actually helped me a lot was Krypton Ogado. He immediately shared us on his story while he was at like 60, 70,000 followers. And that really helped us. It was a success story in the beginning because it kind of lined up with the price action right around the time of Coinbase. We pumped from the $40 stablecoin meme <laughs> all the way up towards uh, well, almost $100. That was amazing. And then Binance entered the chat and... Uh, yeah, that, that blew uh, the price even further. And people were bullish. Sentiment was good. We were uh, euphoric. Did post after post after post. And it got even crazier in August and September because we, we pumped even further. I just noticed back then that I was getting a bit cocky, you know, because 
Krypton itself was going down while we were trending upwards. Then the slide downwards started. And we're still doing posts, but I just noted that we kind of made a mistake that summer of just posting only about the price. It got a bit messy. Like you get your first hate, hate messages. My partner, she was like, okay, I'm quitting with Instagram. I can't do this anymore. She was still helping me sometimes. Every now and then she did occasional posts and was like, okay, we need to focus on FA. And that leaves us somewhere in December, 2021. I think this entire story. And that's where we started with Yarno, with the Comfy Show. So that's kind of the, the Instagram story for the first part. Yeah, for sure. I remember finding quant.updates updates in the beginning. Someone had sent it to me. I was already in my inner circle, kind of a you know pretty big quant proponent, and someone had forwarded me this Instagram page, and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" So obviously, I followed, and you guys were posting a lot. And I remember, I think it was when I first started tweeting. It was maybe early 2022, or maybe it was from one of my clubhouse rooms. I don't remember what it was, but you you were helping me and sort of promoting my material. I don't even think I'd asked you to do it. I don't think we'd ever spoken, but you had come across it maybe on the Telegram or something like that. Yeah, I got a couple DMs from some of my friends like, you're famous and all this stuff and because you guys were promoting it because you guys really were and still are you know, the biggest quad proponents on Instagram. And so that was always like a good feeling. And then uh, it was cool when it all came full circle and we got to meet and I you know, saw who was behind everything. And it is interesting that you talk about putting out content based on price action. And what's been really interesting for me is that I didn't start creating public content, ironically, until pretty much the week of the all-time high. So like that was my first ever clubhouse room doing like a huge breakdown for like a couple hundred people of this project. And then I did, you know, more live rooms, like pretty much once a month after that. And then once the new year turned, I started on Twitter and this whole time the price is going down. Like literally I started when it was about $400 and then it just kept going down and down and down. So my entire content output has been during a downward price action. So when we got a little bit of a pump, like last month or whenever it was, a couple months ago, when we went from like 40 to 130 over the course of whatever, five, six, seven weeks, that was the first time that I ever had a chance to like just post some charts and like just, there is an advantage from an engagement perspective when people are excited about price action and being able to relish in that. And I guess there's a lesson learned there though from your end is like, the time that you happen to have started was a little before, which is great. And you were able to build a huge following off that. But then you may, you may have realized as you went, like you said, the content was maybe a little too focused on the price. And that when the price went away, you know, you're like, oh, this needs to redirect in terms of you know, our content strategy. So I'm curious now that like price has been in an overall downtrend for a while. Where do you think the general sentiment of the community is now? And how do you think that plays into what you're creating going forward? Yeah, it's it's always a bit difficult to to answer where the general sentiment of the community is because this is crypto. I would say at this moment, we have shifted back to neutral in, in terms of sentiment. But I think that the worst has been around June. And it really helps us that we did get some pretty good news from the team, right? We've seen tokenize come out, QRC20 and QRC721. Those things have helped us at least get some faith back that the team is still building overledger. So I think in, in, in that sense, the bearish momentum is, is kind of gone, but the bullish momentum is not present because, well, high inflation, terrible macroeconomic environments, but the worst is behind us. That's what I want to say. 
and how that works in terms of my content creation. That was the other question. It's kind of difficult at the moment to kind of focus on something specific in, in content creation uh, because while we do a podcast once a week in Dutch and English, it's getting harder and harder to kind of find stuff to talk about because it's getting repetitive. In the beginning, we could just talk about pretty much everything because where do you start with a project that has such an insanely wide scope? So what that means for us in terms of content creation is that instead of focusing solely on, on what the company is doing, we try to kind of cover this space in a broader sense. And even on Instagram, that's different because on Instagram, I really want to bring actual information to the people. You know, I, I don't want to be speculating there. So there is where it gets increasingly difficult to put factual information out because the leads are drying up and we're still waiting for new stuff to happen. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And it's totally normal that when you start a new project, especially one that requires output of content and feedback from the community, that things are going to change over time. And I know that you, for a long time, were doing episodes that were very long, two and a half, three hours even, and going very, very deep into things. And then more recently, you've kind of shortened them to maybe an hour, hour 15 minutes, hour 30 even. But I think that there's nothing wrong with kind of reevaluating how you approach the content game. And if you feel like, hey, look, maybe we don't have two and a half hours of stuff to talk about anymore and we can focus more per episode on stuff that is only going to take 60 minutes and there's benefits to that. You know, you're very early still in this brand and in this program. So you guys have a lot to look forward to and you are definitely one of the biggest quant platforms out there. And once price rebounds and we get a whole new slew of people in here over the next bull run, you guys are super primed to capture a lot of that attention. So I want to move a little bit more into quant itself. And I'm curious, as you move forward in this space, where does quant sit in your portfolio? Not necessarily as a percentage per se, but as the way you think about the investment. Is it a store of value for you? Is it a company that you think you're investing in? Is it like this network of networks? Like, how do you position it in your portfolio? It's, uh, well, speculative. It's a really speculative investment because we have yet to see how big Overledger actually is and what kind of role QT is going to play in that. And I think, especially now, I'm 25, I'm in my mid 20s. I really want to focus on being kind of a speculative investor at this point. Q&T has a big place in my portfolio. It's uh, way over 90%. I wouldn't want to leave the crypto space, especially not now. And it would rather be in a project that I understand and know. So yeah, I would say it's the utility token of the network of networks. Is there a timeline that you're looking at to see some sort of gains on this? I know it's very hard and I'm not asking you to make a prediction per se, but I know a lot of people are looking kind of at this 2025 bull market it'll be like you know every four years we have to get a bull market is that kind of the timeline you're looking at in the next like two to three years or is it a longer scale for when you're anticipating returns so the way i'm seeing this and and Jorno, my uh, co-host uh has a bit of a different idea about it he's way, way more bullish than i am uh, at least he's, he's more optimistic I'm not a big fan of like these crypto patterns, right? So that around the next Bitcoin halving, when is it? In 2024, I think. That will cause a new bull run. Uh, I think that is 
way too hard to predict. But what I do know is that in this decade, we will reach certain technological milestones which will be implemented. So the rollout of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, mark some kind of mental map. And I know, Quant, the company isn't making it a secret that they are working on CBDC. So there is some kind of smoke which could cause fire, which could spark price action. But there are also different technologies which are being rolled out. We have these continental networks, right? So such as Lechain and here in Europe, you have Epsi. Stuff like that is being rolled out in the coming eight years. And I think that it will inevitably lead back to Quants and the company. I just don't really like technical analysis. So I can't help you with what that does, the price action. Only thing I know is that a lot of stuff is still going up and that will probably draw in more people, thereby help the Q&T token become more desired for investors. I think generally I agree with what you're saying is that it's less about kind of these quote unquote pre-built-in cycle times. And it's more about what's actually happening in technology on a global scale. And that's kind of how I look at the space as well. I definitely am looking at the back half of the decade as, hey, look, you know, I mean, you mentioned CBDCs. I think those won't really start to get rolled out in major Western countries until 2025 is kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe a little earlier as they start to sprinkle in, but when will the public really start using them a lot? It will be as 2025, 26, 27. And on top of that, just more of these systems starting to go online and to interconnect and for Quant to start to really see some value from a utility perspective. Maybe we get some speculative nature in the price action before that, but in a way that's sustainable, in a way that could maybe actually break off and do its own thing and not be so reliant on the price of Bitcoin or on larger markets. I just really can't see that happening until 27, 28, like just in the larger or in the later half of the decade. So I think we're, we see that kind of the same. Uh, you mentioned like some of these partnerships kind of taking shape and how important that is. Is there a quant partnership, whether it's speculative or confirmed, that you're most intrigued with? Everyone would say Oracle here, and I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm saying Nexi still. And they serve hundreds of millions of customers in European markets. And I think people underestimate how big this is. And the fact that CIA has been a quant network partner since, well, a couple of years now, and that they merged with this other company, and now they go as the Nexi Group. The Nexi Group now, they actually also mention quant network and overledger in their documents. That shows, for me at least, that we have a very significant partner there, and there's a good chance that in the future, those payments will go through overledger. Yeah, that would be my favorite partner. It's kind of like the big three that in terms of people that have announced their partnership with Quant that have a real far reaching impact and touch a lot of different types of use cases. So Nexi and SIA is a huge one because it's like European payment infrastructure, right? And then you have Lackchain, which is kind of this regional DLT, like DLN network that's rolling out across multi-countries. And this is its own kind of beast in a different area. And then you have Oracle, as you mentioned, which is kind of this enterprise-focused global renowned cloud provider. And it's like these real three distinct types of use cases, but they're all so massive in their own ways. And you, you know, you've said people underestimate how big this is. And it really comes back to people just underestimating quant and really the reach that it has. So, you know, we've had these last couple of updates come out on Overledger that have been, you know, just maintenance releases. And uh, 
not to say anything bad because it's been only a month really since we had QRC721, which is a big deal. But what do you think is coming next for Quant? Can you make a prediction or is there something that you would like to see come out? Like, what do you think they're going to release going forward? We've been speaking about this on the Pompey Show with our guests. And what Hungarian Hornthill said, and I think that he might have a point, he said that we've seen the most recent maintenance release, and it was 2.2.14. And he said it, it might lead towards a completely new version, so the third version of Overledger. Let's say halfway September until halfway October. So first we have the 16th of September. That was a year ago. I think that was the point where Overledger Network went live. Now, the second thing is, I think on the 27th of September, 26th, 27th, would be the seventh birthday of the company. They were established in September 2015, so that would be the seventh birthday. And then halfway October, so two weeks after that, they are at Cybos here in Amsterdam. And during the 2019 edition of Cybos, they actually revealed the enterprise overledger because this is this huge fintech event where lots of banks and, and other technology companies attend. So they might show us something this next month, but it's all just pure speculation, hopium for me. But I really hope that after getting certain maintenance updates and also the quote by Kilworth uh, that 2022 would be bigger than 2021, well, it only leaves us with a couple of months left. I'm hoping that October is going to bring us something. Yeah, so I'll hope with you a little bit, but I'm also like, okay, so I'm going to push back a little bit and play a little devs advocate on that because I personally think, first of all, that quote, I think you can just throw it out. Like, I don't really like how much people use that quote as anything at all. It's like, it's the CEO of his company saying like, hey, this year was great. Next year's going to be better. It's like, I wouldn't read into that at all. It's just literally just some guy being hyped about his own company. I don't think that means that he had like something in his back pocket that he can't wait to release. That's my personal opinion. As far as releasing something at Cyboss, yeah, I think we could maybe get something like that. But I don't think we're going to get like Overledger 3.0 or something like that. To me, the only way that you bump up an entire version is if you have a major product release that's built into it. So to me, Overledger 3.0 is probably remote connector gateways and, and bringing in community involvement. I don't think we're there yet. I think we could still see like 2.3. Or something like that, like go up to the next 10th, but I wouldn't go to the whole round number yet. I just don't think we're there. I can't see any other major product releases in the pipeline other than remote connector gateways because we already have, you know, obviously the API gateways that are connecting DLT to DLT. And then we have the NFT 721 and we have the QRC 20. So we have like the multi-ledger token technology and we have the DLT connector like frameworks. So. Outside of that, those are really the two things Quant does. I think it's just going to continue to be adding enhancements to that. In the meantime, under Overledger 2.xxx, it's going to be, you know, adding more DLTs, adding more functionality to QRC20, adding more DLTs to the QRC721. Right now, that's only on, you know, XDC, Polygon, and Ethereum. Continue to build that out and make it more robust. And that will more likely be what we see in the future. I hope that some of that comes out at Cyboss. I'm just not expecting like a 3.0 or any kind of major, major thing. But that's just my personal perspective. No, true. I mean, I was just consulting my crystal ball, but it didn't help. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And I think to make it a bit more tangible, um, we we are with Curacy 20, we, we are only at tier two at the moment. And at the beginning of the year, 
January, February, some, somewhere there, they showed us what all the tiers would look like. And for sure, they will implement the other tiers at some point in the future. That would be a very reasonable prediction to say, hey, they're going to roll out the third version of it and they will roll out the fourth version of it so that we get all the tiers. But I just hope that the when gateways questions will uh, become reality. Yeah, that'll probably happen. I just think it won't be for another year or two. I think it's really an extended timeline. If there's one thing that I think we can actually trust from the Carlo Calisa messages was the way he spoke about, you know, gateways have kind of been put on pause. I think that that's actually a realistic scenario and that's fine. I don't think we're ready, but I think that the tokenized product is so important to what Quant is doing in the short to medium term in terms of allowing financial institutions to create their own stable coins, these commercial stable coins, that they're really going to put a lot of emphasis into that, I think, going into the, the months ahead in like what you say, kind of building out that tier three and tier four and making it into a more realistic product. So I do think there's a lot on the horizon. We have a lot to look forward to. This is going to be a long-term process, as we've said. And so... Just because we don't get maybe gateways right away or some major, major releases in the next couple of months, I think part of this is the journey and just getting to enjoy kind of what it takes to actually build a global infrastructure. I mean, something that none of us have ever been a part of. And so it's going to be a slow process. They're very meticulous. And I think that works in our favor in the long run. So. Tim, I really appreciate you coming by the podcast and sharing all of this information. Where can people find you on social media? We've talked about Instagram and the podcast. Are there any specific links you want to point people to or any personal projects that you're working on? Thank you so much, by the way. You can find us on Instagram, obviously, on Twitter at The Quamfy Show, also on YouTube on The Quamfy Show, and we are working on trying to create as much content as we can. Thank you so much for just having me and uh, it was a pleasure to meet you again virtually. It's been too long and we would really like to have you on the show on our side. So let's make that a reality and I hope for the listeners too that it was an enjoyable conversation. There it is. Episode 8 in the books. Thank you so much to Tim for making it happen. I loved being a guest on the Quamfy Show back in April. We had a bomb episode that I think is their most viewed on YouTube. So if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it and I can't wait to join them again. If you want to find Tim or support the Quamfy Show on social media, I've linked his link tree in the description on Patreon as well as an ebook that was created by Crypto Nagato that Tim contributed to and thought some of you might enjoy. I appreciate y'all listening to today's show. Let me know what you think in the comments and back on Telegram. I'll see you there. Peace out.